Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Today's an exciting day for me. See, I have two ministries. I have a ministry here at Wyoming Valley Church, and I have a ministry at Keystone College. And today is like a coming together of the two. It's like a Brady Bunch. Bring the two together. This is an exciting day. I'm glad you guys are all here today. Um, for those who haven't been here, we've been studying Ephesians for the last several months and Ephesians chapter 6 for the last several weeks because we're going through spiritual armor and uh, looking at the spiritual pieces of armor one by one. And so that's what we're doing again today. We're kind of crawling through Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, if you were here, we talked about 617a. We looked at the first part of 17, and now we're going to look at 617b and finish the verse today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 17b today. It's a really short part of the passage here, but very powerful one. And I'm going to read all of verse 17 and uh, we'll get an idea of where we're going to today. It says this, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's the piece of armor we're going to look at today. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you ever begin to value something you once did not value? Did you ever begin to value something you once did not value? Well, I was trying to think of a few uh, illustrations for this. The best one I could come up with is actually church. Church. I'm going to share my experience growing up with not valuing church. Uh, when I grew up in church, church was sort of a dip, different atmosphere than we have today. Uh, back in the day, at least my experience, my perspective, is you had to wear your uncomfortable clothes to church, even as a kid. Had to wear your tie. And back in the day, they had these things called clip-on ties. Who remembers those things? Yeah. For some reason, you couldn't teach a kid how to tie a tie, and you couldn't put it on for him, so you had to give him this little clip-on tie. And those things were horrible. I hated those things because they like the metal part like clips right, it clips right onto your jugular vein, and you have to wear it every Sunday or it's it's you know you're going to be cast out of the church. So you have your uncomfortable clothes on and you go to the church and they had what was called pews. Who remembers pews? Raise your hand. We don't have pews here, but pews were created in like the 14th century and they just decided to keep them for 600 years. And so you go with your under, uncomfortable clothes and you sit in these pews and they're made out of wood and it's like termites holding hands. And it's got a little bit of cushion, but they're really uncomfortable. I think the reason they do it is because they don't want you sleeping, because you can't in the pews. They're horrible. Uh, that's, why they, that's why they have them, so you have to stay awake. But uncomfortable clothes, uncomfortable pews. When they finally play the music, like we have really great music. I hope you guys appreciate the music. Back in the day, they would have old hymns and old English. You guys remember that? Now, I, I don't want to bash the hymns because they're full of doctrine. But some of these titles, I didn't know what I was singing. The guy would get up there and go, turn your hymnals to number 413, and we're going to sing the song, Tis Thou Thy Love for Thee. What? What is that even talking about? So you'd sing all these old English songs, and you're in your uncomfortable clothes, and I, I didn't appreciate church. I also didn't like this, and I don't want any comments here. I didn't like the long-winded preachers. <laughs> That's not a joke. I don't know what you're thinking right now. But the long-winded preachers, I, I didn't appreciate them. You know, these guys get up and you don't know, they're talking over your heads. You don't really appreciate what they're saying. And Church would also have extras that we had to go to all the time. Whatever church did, we did. So Awana, I think every kid liked Awana except me. I don't know what it was. I didn't really appreciate Awana. Uh, I didn't get it. It just felt like more uncomfortable things. We also had from time to time, kind of like we're having today, what was called a potluck. Anybody remember that? We don't call it a luncheon. We call it a potluck. And as a kid, I didn't appreciate potlucks either because it seemed like every dish was like a tuna and spam casserole. <laughs> right? No kid wants to eat that. Where's the mac and cheese and the chicken tenders? But that was my perspective of church growing up. And I had the wrong perspective because once I started following the Lord Jesus, I started to value his church. Regardless of some of these things, this, this doesn't mean it's a bad church if it has some old traditional things, but I didn't appreciate it. And now that I'm a pastor, I definitely appreciate church more than I ever have before. But I hope you guys value what church is and what church offers because there's nothing else like it. And it's God's plan to conquer the devil, as we've talked about. So we're going to look at something today that hopefully maybe it needs to take on another degree of value than it has up to this point. And that's the Word of God. The Word of God, as we're going to learn, is the sword of the Spirit. We have two goals through a lesson today. Goal number one is to highly value the Word of God, the Bible to highly value the Bible to such a degree that we discipline ourselves to search it, to study it, to memorize it, because it's the difference between eternal life and death. It's that important. And I want us to highly value the Word of God if we don't up to this point. And I think by the end of this lesson, we will, Lord willing. Number two goal is to use the sword of the Spirit properly in two facets. One that would both defend our souls 
And number two, that it would advance the name and the glory of God. And the sword does both, as we'll learn. It, it defends and it goes on the offense as well. So those are our two goals today that we hope to get to. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, we've looked at every piece of armor. There's been five up to this point. I won't quiz you. But all the pieces of armor that we've looked at are primarily pieces of defense. Okay, we'll work through them with me. The belt of truth. The belt of truth kind of holds all the pieces together, right? We've talked about this at Keystone. The belt of truth holds everything together. It, truth does that. It holds you together. Without truth, you're like a kite flying anywhere the wind wants to take you. And truth holds you together. But that's holding the pieces of armor. Number two is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts from Satan's death blow. And that's really important as a piece of defense to protect our heart because that's what Satan wants to get to most, our heart and our mind. Then we looked at the shoes of readiness. I think that's titled that way on purpose because shoes obviously can be used to move forward, but Paul titled it the shoes of readiness. In other words, be prepared to move, but wait for the commands of your Lord. And that's another piece of defense. Then we looked at the shield of faith. The shield of faith says how we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Shield is obviously for defense, right? You put your shield up to withstand something, to keep something from hitting you. And that's what he said helps you extinguish Satan's fiery darts. Because fiery darts, as Pastor Mel taught us, are supposed to be uh, sent at you, directed at you, to take you down from the inside because they burn. They burn you in uh, from the inside. And the shield of faith keeps us from those darts hitting us. And the last one we looked last week was the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation protects our what? Our brains. Our minds. That's pretty important, right? To have your mind and your brain protected. As we looked at last week, the helmet of salvation gives us hopeful courage. And I know that you need hope and I need hope. But every single one of those is primarily defense. Today we're going to look at one that has both defense and offense. And it's the shield of faith. It's number six piece of armor, the shield of faith, as he calls the sword of the spirit. Why did I say shield of faith? I know what I'm saying. It's not coming out right. The sword God gives us is the sword of the spirit. And uh, the sword of the spirit is what we're talking about today, which we're going to look at is the word of God. But the swords can be both defensive and offensive. You've seen one of those old movies, right, where someone is both in a sword fight and they're def defending against a blow and they're also striking with the sword. That's the idea of what we're talking about today because... The sword can withstand an attack, but it can also strike. Swords are pretty important. Now, we would use a sword today in battle. We would use guns and weapons of mass destruction and things like that. But back in the day, they had swords. Sword is what you use to strike. And a sword can strike a blow to your enemy. And that's a really important thing that we'll learn today. That I don't know if has ever been taught clearly in my mind is that we can actually go on the offense against the devil. It sounds like we're the ones retreating, we're the ones backpedaling, and the devil's just trying to get at us, but we can actually turn the fight into advancing against the devil. But just as every piece of armor we've looked at, there's no option for us to forget our swords in battle, is there? Is that something you could forget? A sword in battle, especially a battle as intense as the one we're in, which is a fight for our lives? Can we forget our sword? We can't, right? We can't neglect to bring the sword as we sit here today, we need to resolve ourselves to pay close attention today because we're going to learn why and how to use our sword against the evil one. Why and how important a sword is. I want us to remember this today. We need to remember, this is an important detail, that God does protect us from harm. You know that, right? You know that God protects us from spiritual harm. But I need to say this. Although that's a wonderful promise and it's all over scripture, it's never a license for us to neglect our duties, to arm ourselves, or to follow Jesus, is it? The fact that God protects us was never an excuse or a license for us to lay down in battle and say, well, God's going to protect me. I don't need to do anything. In fact, we are called to put on all of this armor. We're called to be strong in the Lord. We're called to take this fight to the devil. And if we begin to play the game, Oh, God will protect me so I don't need to arm myself. We're actually going outside the truths of Scripture and we're falling right into the devil's trap. That's what he wants us to think. God is going to protect you, then you don't need to do anything. Even though Ephesians 6 says, you do need to do something. You need to put on all these pieces of armor. And I would say it this way, the primary way God protects us is by us listening to God's instructions. That's how he protects us. 
When God says, you need your armor, take your armor, take your sword, it's really important. We say, yes, God, we will. Thank you for the armor. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to use the way you've taught me, and I'm going to win this battle. That right there is how God protects us. If we don't arm ourselves with a sword and we don't use it properly, who is to blame? Is it God to blame? It's us to blame. We are the only ones to blame if we face eternal ruin because we refuse to put on our armor. We refuse to fight the way God taught us to fight. You guys are in college. When I went to college, I was dumbfounded because in high school, when you're in high school, your teachers remind you every time there's a test or a project, right? Uh, there's a test tomorrow. Don't forget, tomorrow's your test. Really big test. Make sure you study. Make sure you get every, all the pieces of knowledge. Tomorrow's that big project. Make sure you study or make sure you get that project done. But when I get to college, they didn't do that anymore. They gave you what was called a syllabus. You guys remember that, right? Day one, here's your syllabus. Get her done. And they stopped reminding you. I hated that. And I forgot about so many tests because I thought the teacher was going to remind me and hold my hand and say, Todd, you got a test tomorrow. Don't go play basketball tonight. Go study, okay? And I would show up on test day, and everybody's like, hey, you study for the test? I'm like, what test? Like, what test? This is one of the biggest things we're going to do all semester. I'm like, oh, that's today? It's like, yeah, didn't you read your syllabus? No, I expected the teacher to remind me. Why didn't she? See, we have to listen to God's instructions. He's instructing us today. God is not going to hold our hands. He's going to instruct us, and he's going to expect us to listen. Paul calls our sword the sword of the Spirit. Now, of course, every piece of spiritual armor has an aspect of the divine in it, right? It all has parts of God within it, and that's what makes it powerful. But none of them are as described as being infused by God as the sword of the Spirit. That's a really important title. The Holy Spirit is our sword in this battle. The Holy Spirit is our sword. You can imagine why the devil would want to nullify us taking our swords into battle, right? Because he can't defeat the power of God on his best day. The devil is powerful. He's incredibly powerful, but he's not as powerful as God. If we take the sword of the Spirit into battle, the devil's in trouble because he can't defeat God. He doesn't want us to take our sword. So you can imagine a lot of his energy and a lot of his attacks are geared toward that. Drop your sword. Neglect your sword. Don't use your sword because it's the sword of the Spirit. And if we use our sword, he's in trouble. So he's got to attack us before we grab our sword. That's his best play. If we use our swords, the devil is entirely undone. So we must understand this today. The sword of the Spirit is the most powerful weapon that exists. The sword of the Spirit is the most powerful weapon that exists. Nothing besides God himself is more powerful than the sword of the Spirit. Nothing. Now, I don't know what would be the most powerful weapon in our, in our physical realm would be nuclear weapon, right? We would say that's the most powerful weapon. That's the weapon, if we really had to, we would turn to. But the sword of the Spirit is the most powerful spiritual weapon. And I need us to pay close attention today because this is a game changer. The sword of the Spirit is a game changer because the sword is our catalyst to victory. Not just defense, because we're not just placed on earth to defend, are we? We are placed on earth to do the will of God. We are the ones on offense. And the devil is trying to nullify us moving forward. So we don't just need to protect ourselves. We need to move forward. We need to advance. And the sword tremendously helps us advance. But he says it's the, sword, the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit and how is he practically like God? I want you to take your Bibles, or I think it's going to be on the screen. You can look right up there. It's John chapter 16, verses 4 to 11. I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, as we know, there are three roles, three parts of God. I don't know the best way to explain it, but there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they all have different roles. And both Jesus and the Holy Spirit submit to the will of the Father. But the Holy Spirit is God. He is God. And I want you to listen to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in this passage in John chapter 16, verses 4 to 11. He said, I did, not, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to help you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I want you to imagine you're a disciple. And you've been with Jesus for three years. He's been guiding you. He's been protecting you. He's been showing you the way to go. He's been next to you, everything you've gone through. And all of a sudden, Jesus says one day, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going back to heaven. And you as a disciple need to carry on my work. I'll see you guys later. Imagine what would be filled with your heart at that moment. Dread would go, no, Jesus, you can't leave. You can't leave us. We've been doing well for the last three years because you've been here. But what are we going to do if you leave? I can imagine being terrified by Jesus departing from me. And this is what he says in this passage. He says, it's to your advantage that I leave. How can that be, Jesus? We've had you next to us for the last three years. And this is where Jesus says, if I leave, I will send the helper to you. I will send the helper. And this helper is going to be very profound because he's going to go, I'm going to go from being next to you to dwelling inside of you. You're going to have me inside of you. Every step of the journey, I'll be with you. I remember sometimes Jesus was in the garden. Jesus was at people's house. And the disciples weren't with Jesus 24-7. But now, because of the helper, Jesus was going to be with them 24-7. And he says, it's to your advantage that I leave. Because my influence, my teaching, my protection will be with you more than it ever has been. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for every Christian. Because the Holy Spirit is our sword. And these are the ways that we find that the Holy Spirit is our sword. He's perfectly like God. I love that about the Holy Spirit. He's perfectly like God. He doesn't have a lesser version. Okay, He's not a weaker version of God. He doesn't have his own agenda. He is perfectly like God. He desires the same things that God desires. So he doesn't have his own agenda. He's not doing his own thing. Whatever God loves, whatever God wants to do, is what the Spirit wants as well. He has the same power that God has. The same power that God has. You guys have seen one of those Starbucks Express, or I think in Wilkesbury there's a Chick-fil-A Express, right, where it's like a smaller or worse version of that. That's not what we're dealing with the Holy Spirit. He has the exact same power that God has. The same power. And he dwells inside of Christians. And finally, the Holy Spirit has sword-like qualities. He's like a sword. He can both defend you and he can strike the evil one. The Holy Spirit is like a sword. He can defend you and he can strike a blow to our enemy, just like a sword is. And he's powerful. That's a really profound thing to understand today, that the sword is the sword of the Spirit. He's powerful. He's like God. He wants the same things God wants, and he's like a sword. He convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. We learn that from John 16. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word convict, in this sense, means to convince of error or sinfulness. He came to convict the world of error or sinfulness in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Just as a sword strikes to kill, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit strikes to kill the self-righteousness that is in us. Okay, The Holy Spirit came to strike and kill our pride that was in our hearts and reveal to us that we are sinners. The Holy Spirit came to show us and to reveal to us our need for a Savior. Now, thankfully, the Spirit was not sent to kill. The Spirit was sent to heal us. I want to say that again. The Holy Spirit was not sent to kill, but to heal us. But the Holy Spirit was still sent to convince us that we are dead, to make that crystal clear in our souls. Because concerning sin, regarding sin, we are entirely sinful. We are draped in sin. 
We are covered in sin. We are drowning in our sin. We are choking on sin. And the Holy Spirit came to show that to us. We are entirely sinful. Regarding righteousness, we have none of our own righteousness whatsoever. The scripture makes that entirely clear. We are spiritually bankrupt. The Holy Spirit came to reveal that to us. Number three, regarding judgment, we are awaiting eternal condemnation unless we find the Savior. And I know that all sounds like really bad news. And it is bad news. But we can't understand and appreciate the good news, or you may have heard the term, the gospel. The gospel means good news. We can't understand and appreciate the good news until we understand the bad news, that we're dead without Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came to strike the self-righteousness that was in us, because unless we understand our need for Jesus, we won't go to Jesus. We won't desire Jesus. We won't search out for Jesus. We will say we're fine on our own. And the Spirit said, no, you're not. You're not fine on your own. And I'm going to reveal that to you. And once we recognize these truths, we begin to search for the Savior. And that's the point. We begin to think, I need to be saved I'm a sinner. I have no righteousness. I am awaiting condemnation. Where is the Savior? Do you see how the Spirit is loving us by revealing to us our need to be saved? So the convicting power of the Holy Spirit towards our souls is actually the means by which we are saved. Because we learned last week that recognizing our sinfulness and admitting our need to be saved is the first step in attaining salvation. No one is saved until they admit their need to be saved. And the Holy Spirit does that for our souls. He says, Todd, you're not righteous. You are a sinner, and you are awaiting condemnation. But there is a Savior, and I need to reveal that to you. So the Spirit comes to tell us the truth and strike down our self-righteousness so that he can heal us. Isn't that interesting? He does that so he can heal us, so we can find True righteousness in Jesus Christ. And plus, guys, God loves us greatly. God loves us greatly. The Father sent the Holy Spirit to help us, not harm us. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us, not harm us. But the Holy Spirit still convicts us regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment because his desire is that we are healed and only the sick will make an appointment with the great physician. You know that, right? Jesus is the great physician, and only those who are sick will go to him. Only those who are sick will make an appointment with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has to do that hard work. He has to come and say to us, you're not righteous. You are sick, and you need an appointment with Jesus Christ. It has to be difficult for a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but that has to be difficult for a doctor to come in and give you the bad news of some disease that you have. That has to be hard. I can imagine a doctor not wanting to do that. Because that's difficult. But a doctor, when he does that, is actually helping you because he's saying to you, here's the bad news, but I have to tell you the bad news so we can act, so we can do something. We can give you the proper medicine or treatment or surgery or whatever is necessary to heal you. And until you and I understand how sinful we are, we cannot value the salvation. We will not value the Savior. We need to understand that we are in dire need of that Savior. And the Spirit comes to heal us by pointing us to that Savior. That is his agenda. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. But it's also interesting that in regard to the devil, the Holy Spirit is like a sword in our hands. Against the devil, the Holy Spirit is like a sword in our hands. For those who have been saved, the Holy Spirit is like a sword in our hands. See, God has no love towards the devil, does he? God has no love towards the devil. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is given to God's people to use against the devil, to convict the devil concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. But only this time with an intent to kill, not to heal. This time when the sword is given to Christians, it is with the intent to strike down the enemy. Where before it was given to our souls to heal us. The sword is put in our hands to strike down the enemy. See, when someone is convinced of error or sinfulness without access to the Savior, what's the only outcome? Death. 
When the Holy Spirit comes to strike down the devil and reveal to him his sin, the lack of righteousness and judgment, and there's no access to the Savior, death is the only outcome for the devil. We talked about the doctor. Consider what the prognosis is of, of someone who's told there's a terminal disease and there's no cure. You have a terminal disease and there's no cure. That is what we are talking about with the sword of the Spirit towards the devil. Devil, Satan, you are this and you're going down. And that's what the sword of the Spirit does for us. That is the exact intent. The sword of the Spirit is given to us to use against the devil because we've been talking about this for the last several weeks. It sounds like the devil's a bully, right? The devil is trying to strike lies into our hearts to get us to fight, not fight and lay down and, and just die. But we're finding out today that we are the ones that hold the sword, not him. We are the ones that have access to the sword, not the devil. He is the one in trouble, not Christians. Not if we fight correctly. Because the devil has no access to the salvation of Jesus, nor does he want it. Nor does he want it. As we'll learn shortly, the word of God is the practical using of the Holy Spirit. And when used properly, truth strikes the devil's heart and mind with accusations that he is an error, that he is sinful, and that we are righteous. And that's really profound when we're striking the devil. And that's the beginning of the devil's destruction because he cannot answer back a defense. He has nothing to say to that. He will not find the cleansing water of Jesus. Satan is doomed. He's doomed. And the truth of God's word is his death blow. That's what's being placed in our hands today. The truth of God's word to strike down the devil. Do you see how the tables are being turned here? Where before we were like backpedaling, no, Satan, don't hurt me, don't harm me. I'm going to put my shield up. And now we have the sword. And now we have the opportunity to strike down the devil. And right there, right there, we learn that the sword of the Spirit both defends us with the truth of righteousness that we find in the gospel, but it also attacks the devil with accusations that he is not righteous. Defense and offense. That the devil's ways are wrong and ultimately powerless against God's people. Do you see how the Holy Spirit is incredibly powerful when used as a sword both to defend and to kill? Do you need the sword? Do you need the sword to defend yourself against the devil and to strike the devil? You, you, bet, you bet we do. We all do. And the best defense, I've heard this in sports all the time, the best defense is a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. If we resist the devil with truth, he'll stop attacking us so much. If we turn the tables on the devil, we're going to learn this very shortly here, he's going to run away. He's going to run away from me if I use my sword properly. I mean, imagine that. Imagine the devil running away from us because we have the power of the sword of the Spirit. We need to be prepared to resist the devil. But we find out today that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is literally God's Word, okay? You can't call the Bible the Holy Spirit. What it means is that in the practical sense which, which we use our sword is by the using of the word of God. That is how we wield the sword of the spirit is by the word of God. The spirit was sent to this earth to magnify truth and truth is the word of God. Whatever God's word says is truth and the spirit came to reinforce that, to stamp it and say, yes, this is truth. What God says is truth. So immediately we discover there's no way to use the power of the Holy Spirit without using the Word of God. We have to pick up our Bibles. And I know in the culture we live in, that doesn't happen a lot. And we're going to talk about that today. Why doesn't that happen a lot? Why is the Word of God not as valuable and important as it once was? Because it's our sword. And you can tell the devil wants to nullify the sword. He wants to take the sword out of our hands. The sword is really important to us stopping the devil. And so he has to take that sword out of our hands. He wants to nullify the word of God. But the Holy Spirit never works independently of God's word. Okay, we mentioned that. He doesn't have his own agenda. His purpose is to attest to, to highlight, to magnify, and to reinforce God's truth. He wants to stamp what God has already said. He is not creating his own Bible. 
Okay, we're not learning new scripture here. He came to stamp exactly what God already said. Guys, the word of God is not just a book, okay? It's not just a book with quotations meant for social media, okay? It's not just a book of stories. The word of God is not just moral teachings. The word of God has raw, divine power from God. That's how important the Bible is. The word of God has raw, divine power from God. When I was little, one time I tested the power of an electrical fence. Anyone ever been that dumb? Why? I don't know. Don't ask that question. I don't know. But I tested the power of an electrical fence to go, is it really electrical? Does that really exist? Is that really a thing? Let's go find out. <laughs> Suffice to say, guys, electricity is powerful. <laughs> Just ask my chronic eye twitch. <laughs> don't do that. Because electricity is powerful, right? It's full of power. That's why there's warning signs that I should have paid attention to. But the word of God is the most powerful tool we have. It's the most powerful tool that exists. You know that, right? Maybe that's just a reminder today, but the word of God is not just a book. It's a sword full of power, full of God's divine power. I want to prove this to you from Scripture because there's really two really important passages we learn this from. It's Hebrews 4.12. And you've probably heard it before, but listen to the language. He says, the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, in the physical realm, we have scalpels, we have tools to open the body, right, and get to a person's organs. But what can reach the soul? There's only one tool, strong enough, sharp enough, powerful enough to get into our soul. And that is the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's amazing, isn't it? In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture comes out of the mouth of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed breathed. This isn't just a book we're talking about today, okay? This isn't just a good book. It's not just the best book on your shelf. It is the word of God and it is our sword. And that elevates it, doesn't it? That already elevates the value of the word of God. We have to highly value the word of God. To not highly value the word of God and treat it like any other book, any other good book, and read it on occasion when it suits us and suits our life is to live practically powerless against the devil. The word of God is likened to fighting, or the lack of having the word of God is likened to fighting a battle against the strongest opponent there is and having no weapon whatsoever with which to defend ourselves and to strike a blow to him. I'll say it again. The word of God is not a book. It's a sword. It's a sword full of God's power. Do you treat it as such? Or is the word of God just a book? Just something to read? Just something on occasion to remind yourself of? Or is it your very sword that you pick up in battle and face the devil with? See, to those who don't believe and don't value the word of God, we find a thousand excuses why we can't get into it. A thousand excuses to neglect the word of God because we don't value it. We come up with all of these excuses like we're too busy. We're too busy. I'm too busy to read the Word of God. It's been one of those weeks. It's been one of those months. I haven't found time to grab my sword into battle. Right? And when you lay it out that way, it doesn't make any sense. I'm too tired. I am too tired. I am tired. We had a, we had a rough week. But I'm too tired to read the Bible. I'll do it when I get more rest. So I'm too tired to grab my sword and bring it into battle. It's too hard. It's too intimidating. The sword is too heavy. If the sword was lighter, I'd take it more often, but it's too heavy. I can't grab it. How about this one? There are better ways to spend my time. There's better ways to spend my time than read the Bible. I come to church. That's plenty. I don't need to read my Bible all the time. There's a lot of better ways to spend my time. Or I forget. 
I've used that one before. I forget. I forget to read my Bible. I forget to grab my sword and bring it into battle. Imagine a soldier saying that. Soldier, where's your weapon? Ooh, I forgot. What? Do you remember boot camp? Do you remember everything we've taught you? How can you forget your weapon? What about this one? I don't have to. It's the pastor's job. That's what he does. That's why we pay him. That's why he's here on Sunday. I get plenty of truth for the next week or next month. Now, those seem ridiculous, but I'm a man who likes illustrations, okay? Now, I want you to humor me here, but I want you to imagine a scenario where there's an angry, hungry grizzly bear who wants you dead, who's chasing you down, okay? An angry, hungry grizzly bear. Maybe you messed with one of his cubs. Maybe you took his food, whatever. He's angry, he's hungry, and he's charging you. And you use those excuses. I'm too busy. Uh, it's a full day. I can't run away from this bear. I got too many things to do. I got to check Facebook on my phone. I have to, I can't. I'm too tired. I, running is hard. Running is tiresome. I don't have the energy. Sorry, bear. Can't run away from you today. Uh, it's too hard. Running is hard. I get shin splints when I run. You guys are runners, right? Shin splints ever happen? Yeah. I get shin splints when I run, so I'm not going to run away from this bear. No, I don't like to run. Uh, there's better ways to spend my time. I have a busy day. I got to get to the store. I got to get to the market. I need to check my phone and my email. I'm not going to run away from this bear. I forget to run away from a bear that's charging you. That's not going to work at all. No one would say that. Why didn't you run away from the bear that was trying to kill you? I forgot. I forgot to run. Really? Or about this one? I, I don't have to. That's the ranger's job. It's the ranger's job. He's going to show up at the last second like Jason Bourne and save me. And uh, I don't have to run. I mean, those are ridiculous, aren't they? They're ridiculous when you put them in that perspective. But for some reason, they work when we're talking about not grabbing our sword and bringing it into battle. And I just want to lay that before you because, honestly, I use those too. I use those too from time to time. And that's sad that they work. And right there, you can tell the devil is trying to nullify the fact that we have a sword and can use that sword against him. On the contrary, though, those who do highly value the word of God will do whatever necessary to discipline themselves. And I'm going to rattle through a list of things that we should be doing if we highly value the word of God. First one is very elementary. Read it. Read it. I want you to imagine saying to God in the last day, I didn't read your scriptures, God. God says, I gave you my truth and you never, you never even read it? I gave you my truth. I preserved my truth. I gave you the scriptures, 66 books of divine wisdom and knowledge, and you never even read it? That's number one, but it's very elementary. Read it. Number two, study it. Don't just read it, but study it. Dive into it. How about this one? Take notes on it. Take notes on it. Ask questions about it. Make notes. Bring things out. Wrestle with it. Pray over it is another one. Pray over the word of God. Act like you care about what you're learning. Pray to God for help. Another one is meditate on it. We've lost the art of meditation. We read the word of God, we check it off, and we go to the next part of our day. But meditate means to chew on, digest it, think about it. Again, talk about it with someone. Pray about it with someone. Discuss it with someone. Discuss the word of God like it's important to you. Here's one that we've talked about in a couple weeks is memorize it. Memorize the word of God. Have you done that with parts of Ephesians that are really important that you want to carry with you? Memorize the word of God as we'll look about. That's really important. Set reminders to get into it. If you're that kind of person that forgets, set reminders to get into the word of God. And get into it in the morning and the evening as if we need our sword at all times. See, those who highly value the word of God will do that. They'll do whatever necessary to discipline themselves to have their sword. Because how could I not have my sword in battle? Is there anything more important than God's word? Is there anything more important than the word of God? We base our entire souls on what is written in this book. Is that important? For us to know it, to search it, to study it, to discuss it, to pray about it, to set reminders for it. It is. It is. It's the most important thing we have. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. How can I not take my sword into battle? Guys, without swords, honestly, what do we expect to happen in battle? 
Without our sword, what do we expect to happen in battle? Do you expect to properly defend yourself against the most seasoned, most veteran, most skilled, most highly motivated and determined warrior there ever was without your sword? There's only one weapon to defeat the devil with. We either use the sword or we die. It's that simple. We either use the sword or we die. I want to ask you this question today. Are you disarmed? Are you disarmed? Do you not have your sword today? I want you to consider your last few days, weeks, and months. Do you seem to be losing ground to the devil? Are you full of worry, full of doubt, full of fears, full of sins? If so, I want you to take a look at your disciplines, or maybe we'd say the lack thereof, to study God's word and see if there's a correlation between the two. Are you full of doubts, worry, and sins? And if so, what are your disciplines like to study the word of God? One day I went to the doctor, um, went to the doctor and I, was, I, was, I just wasn't feeling good. I had like one of those fast heart, heartbeats and I uh, just wasn't feeling good. You know, I had headaches and things like that. And I decided it was time for a doctor's visit. I was just feeling miserable for several days. And I went to the doctor and I said, doctor, I'm just not feeling good all over. And he goes, well, what's going on? And I told him, you know, I have a fast heart rate and headaches and all kinds of stuff, you know, is going on. I, and he goes, well, let me ask you a few, a few elementary questions. He said, are you, are you drinking water? I said, well, no, not really. I have one glass in the morning and that's kind of it for the day. He goes, well, that's not good. Should drink more water, Todd. He goes, what about this? Are you sleeping? I said, no, I have six kids. I don't sleep well. You know, I, I get like two hours a night. He goes, well, that's, that's probably another reason. He goes, what about, are you eating? Are you eating well? He goes, no, I, I don't hardly eat at all. I sit down with a bag of Doritos from time to time and I, that's my meal. And he goes, well, I, I think I found your answer. I think if you change your disciplines, you'll change your health. Guys, that didn't actually happen. I made that story up. But do you see what happens there? If, you, if we went to God and said, God, these, are, these things are happening in my life, you know what God's answer might be? Where's your sword? Where's your sword? Have you used the sword I gave you that is full of power? Full of power. Guys, without our swords, we're going to lose. We're going to lose without our swords. No Christian is going to get to the kingdom of God and share at the banquet table how they often neglected their Bibles and, how, and somehow still found success over the devil. Can you imagine saying that in heaven? Guys, I rarely studied my Bible. I mean, I neglected that bad boy all the time. I rarely got into God's word and somehow I still beat the devil. No one's going to say that. Nobody. Every saint will have the same story. I sought the Lord in his word, and he gave me the power to defeat the devil and finish my race. How did you defeat the devil? By the sword of the Spirit. By the sword of the Spirit. I want to pause briefly and consider one excuse that actually does hamper some from the word of God, and it's the difficulty to study God's word properly. I hear that a lot in every circle I go is that God's word is difficult. It's complicated. People aren't sure how to study God's word properly, so they don't do it. I hear that a lot, and I want to consider this for a moment here. The difficulty of studying God's word. I'm just going to say three things on the matter, okay? Number one, it's supposed to be difficult to some degree. The word of God is supposed to be difficult, not impossible, and not just for scholars, okay? The Word of God is made for every single person. But it's supposed to be difficult. I want you to remember that the Holy Spirit is given to every single Christian to help us understand the Word of God better. But does it take work to study the Word of God? Yes, it does. It takes work. It's going to be hard. It's going to have struggle. But isn't the greater something is, the more it takes to gain it. Isn't that true? You've heard the pain. You've heard the phrase, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain, right? When people say that, they're talking about working out or some athletics. No pain, no gain. But honestly, it's the truth with Scripture. It's difficult. And it's okay that it's difficult. It takes a little bit of struggle and a little bit of hard work. But it's so necessary for us. And that's number two. The greater the difficulty in studying it, the greater our determination must be to learn how to study it. Just saying it's difficult and stopping makes entirely no sense whatsoever. Does it? Does it make any sense to say the word of God is hard, therefore I don't do it? 
Do you know that's the same rationale people use to abort babies? Raising children is difficult and costly, so no thanks. Nah, it's hard. I don't want to do it, so why don't we just abort the kids? Is raising kids difficult? Guys, it's a breeze. No, it's not. <laughs> raising kids is difficult. I have six. Every one of them is difficult. But they're worth it. And they're from God, and they're a gift from God, and the Word of God is a gift from God. Is it difficult? Yes, it's difficult, but it's so valuable to our souls. How can we not discipline ourselves to use our sword to win the battle against the devil, no matter the cost? And number three, to encourage you. There are people and tools to help you study God's Word. Your pastors want to help you study God's Word. We do. That's why we were given to you. God gave you spiritual leaders to help those who need it. Just like someone who isn't great at math goes to their teacher for extra help. If you struggle studying the word of God, seek out your pastors. Seek out your leaders who can help you. We want to help you. If we understand the word of God is going to be difficult, if we don't care what it costs us to learn it, but we're determined to discipline ourselves, and if we seek out the help of those who can help us, we're going to know God's word, we're going to pick up our sword, and we're going to wield it in battle. We are. We will. If we will learn to discipline ourselves and do whatever necessary to know the word of God. The last thing we're going to look at today is how do we properly use the sword of the Spirit to both defend our souls and to advance the name and the will of God because it's not just defense. We want offense as well. I want to start where it's best to start, with our Lord Jesus. I want to start with our Lord Jesus. He's our Lord, he's our master, he's our teacher, he's our captain, he's our guide, and he's our leader. We must learn from Jesus how best to use the word of God. Keystone students, we looked at this passage a little bit. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. We learn from Jesus how to use our sword. I want you to listen to this encounter he has with the devil in the wilderness. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Matthew, then, the, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I think that's the most unusable verse in Scripture, that, that phrase, he was hungry. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Right? That makes sense. Jesus would be hungry after 40 days of no food. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then look at verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There's so much we could gain from this one passage, but I want to consider three things briefly. Number one, Jesus was very weak during this temptation. He was very weak. He was without food for 40 days and 40 nights. I asked Keystone Group this, but what's the longest you've ever gone without food? A few days? Most? I think I've gone five or six days without food. This is 40 days without food. Jesus is weak. And somehow, he's going to win the battle against the most powerful and determined opponent there ever was. Where did the power come from? Where did the power come from? See, we can't just say, well, he's Jesus. He's a son of God. Whenever he needs power, he just summons it and he defeats the devil. Because we notice right in the text, he doesn't want to misuse his power, does he? Because the devil says, you're hungry. Make the stones into bread. And you can tell Jesus' answer is, that's not why my power was given to me. 
To use my power for myself whenever I want it is not why I have power. So he didn't want to abuse his power. Second of all, we can say that Jesus wanted to fellowship with our weaknesses. Jesus wanted to fellowship with our weaknesses. Number two, uh, excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Are you glad that Jesus knows what your weaknesses are like? Are you glad that Jesus can say to you, I've been there, I know what that's like, I know how to fight this? Isn't that comforting to know that Jesus can empathize and sympathize with our weaknesses to say, I've been there? And that's what Hebrews tells us, is that he knows true weakness. So where did Jesus get the power? He got the power from a source outside of himself, from the sword of the Spirit. And I want to think about this today. If Jesus needed his sword to beat the devil, how much more do we? If Jesus needed his sword to defeat the devil during his weakness, how much do we? Number two, Jesus fought with scripture. Look at the common denominator of every response Jesus says back to Satan. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus knew how powerful the sword of the Spirit is, and he knew that he had to use the word of God in order to defeat the devil. Jesus didn't justify not using his sword by saying, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, it's too hard, or God's going to protect me. He picked up his sword and he wielded it properly to defend himself against the devil. Jesus fought using scripture. Number three, Jesus didn't have a copy of the scriptures with him. The word of God was in the process of being recorded. He did not hold a Bible while he was fighting the devil. So how did he, knew, how did he know what was written in it? How did Jesus know what was written in it? Well, Jesus is proving to us a passage that comes from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. I think this is going to be on the screen, but I want you to listen to the word of God here. It says in verse 9, How could a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Watch my lips, I declare, all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all your riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Jesus had stored up God's word in his heart. How do we know that? Because there's a very interesting part of this passage where Satan tries to use scripture against Jesus. In verse 5, Satan says, after learning the first time that Jesus used scripture, you want to use scripture, I'll use scripture. And so Satan says, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because it is written. And then he quotes a passage from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. But I want to put that quotation of the passage next to what Psalm 91 actually says. And I want you to notice if there's a difference between the two. Okay, according to Satan, this is what he said in verse 5. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, that's why you should throw yourself off the temple, because you have a blank check. Whatever you want to do, the angels will protect you no matter what. But Jesus must have known what Psalm 91, 11 to 12 said, because listen to the actual verbatim quotation of that verse. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, is that a very close representation of Psalm 91? It's very close, isn't it? It's almost eerily close, but is there a difference between the two? I kind of put it in bold for you, but there's one phrase of the verse that Satan left out when he was quoting it, and it says, to guard you in all your ways. And do you know what that means? I did some digging. You know what that means? In all the ways God has taught us to go. 
If you go the way God has instructed you to go, the angels will care for you every hour of the day and no harm will befall you. Satan removed one little quote from that verse and suddenly said to Jesus, you have a blank check to do whatever you want. Now, I'm going to ask you, and you're going to have to be a theologian to get this right, okay? Can I throw myself into a speeding car here on Route 315 and hope that God keeps his promise to protect me? Now, I guess there's two answers to that. Yes, you technically can, but is that foolish? Yeah, that's pretty foolish. Because is that what God's word was meant to, just give us a blank check to throw ourselves in harm's way? No, we know that. But somehow, with the weakness of Jesus, Satan thought he could get him that way. To say, you want to use scripture? I'll use scripture. Here you go. Now launch yourself off the temple. And Jesus said, no, that's not what it's there for. That's not what it's there for. And how did Jesus do that? I think two things. He had treasured God's word up, on, up in his heart. And number two, he had practiced. Practiced wielding a sword. Practiced using scripture. I don't think that was his first attack. And I don't think it was his last with the devil. But he knew how to use his sword properly. I'm not asking you today if you have a sword. I know we all have swords. We have swords physically. We have swords that are Bible apps. What I'm asking you today is do you use it and how do you use it? In order to get to this answer, I want to ask us three questions about our relationship to God's word before we close. Do we know the power to defeat Satan is solely within God's word? Do we know the power to defeat Satan is solely within God's word? If I asked you the question, what do you do when your cell phone battery is dying? Does anyone struggle with that? Does anyone not know where to go to get the power? Honestly, does anyone's battery just die because they literally don't know how to charge a cell phone? No, we've all learned. We've all learned that you take your little charger, you plug it into an outlet, and you get juice for your battery. And so the question I'm asking you today is, do you know where the power is? Have you learned where the power is to defeat Satan, that it's only in the Word of God? Number two, are we training and disciplining ourselves to know the Word of God and use it in the midst of temptations? Are you training and disciplining yourself to know the Word of God and use it in the midst of temptations? Because I'm going to be honest, the attacks are coming. They came yesterday and they'll come today. The attacks are coming do you know how to use the word of God in the midst of temptations? Number three, are we storing God's word within our hearts, not just our ears, not just listening to a sermon that a pastor preaches, but are we storing God's word in our hearts in preparation for the battle that we will face every single day of our lives? See, we have to bring our spiritual ammo wherever we go because there might be an attack at any moment. There might be an attack at any moment. When should you have your sword at all times? That doesn't mean you have to read this 24-7, but it does need to be in here. You need to store it up in your heart, and that takes work. Not just to go, okay, I read the Bible, check it off for the day. No. What does this do to protect me today? How do I use this today? God, help me treasure the word of God today. Our last question is, how do we take the sword of the spirit and turn defense into offense? If you notice in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to attack Jesus. And by the end of verse 11, who's running away? Satan. Satan came into the wilderness to attack Jesus because he was weak. It was an opportune time. And by the end of verse 11, Satan's running away. And I find that very interesting. That Jesus not only used his sword to defend himself, but to strike a blow to the devil. And he proves this verse that we've talked about before in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And what will happen? He will flee from you. I think that's one of the most awesome verses in the entire Bible. The devil will run away from me if I use my sword properly. Remember what we said about the sword of the Spirit? He convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because we are in faith, or we are in Jesus by faith, I should say, the word of God is used to defend us with God's promises. And those promises build us up. They strengthen us. 
They give us legs. They give us fight. They give us hope. They give us courage because it reinforces the gospel to say, God loves you, child. And the word of God defends us against the lies and the deceptions of the evil one. So God's word strengthens our feeble needs. It reinforces God's love within our souls. And the love and power get us to stand up straight in the battle against the devil. And in that way, we're properly defended. When I was little, we, uh, we got BB guns one year for Christmas. And we lived in kind of a wooded area. And I remember being nervous to go into the wooded area on occasion. But when I got my BB gun, I was confident. I entered that woods with confidence because now I had my BB gun. If some crazy monster came out of nowhere, I had my Red Rider. It's time to throw down. Gave me confidence to go into the battle. That's what the word of God and the promises of the gospel do for us. It gives us confidence to enter into the battle. But here's the offense. Right here is the offense. For the devil, he is neither righteous nor loved by God. And the promises that build us up tear him down. The same promises that strengthen my knees weaken his. Like a rotted piece of wood. Once the devil realizes that's happening, you know what he's going to do? He's going to flee. When you use the sword and strike a blow to the devil, you're going to weaken him. And when you weaken him, he's going to run away because he cannot and will not defeat the sword of the Spirit. It's too strong. He's too weak to defend himself against the sword of the Spirit. What do we take away from this today? The Word of God has to be highly valuable. We've mentioned that before, but the Word of God needs to be highly valuable. It has to be worth the struggle to discipline ourselves, to store it in our minds and our hearts. When we fight with the Word of God, we cannot lose. And without it, we should expect to lose. Christian, value the Word of God. Failure is not an option. Have you learned that the Word of God is your only hope in this battle? Have you learned that the Word of God is your only hope in this battle? Number two, learn how to use the Word of God through practice. Many other people are taking man's opinion on the Word of God at face value, going, well, he says it, it must be true. But for those who practice using the Word of God, they meditate on it. They memorize it. They take notes on it. They ask questions about it. They talk about it. They discuss it. They pray over it. And they learn how to wield their sword in the face of temptation. That is a much better way to use the Word of God than just going, sounds good. Sounds right. But to learn the Word of God through practice. Growing up, one last illustration. Growing up, my brother and I liked baseball. We liked playing baseball. Playing baseball was fun. You know what we didn't like? Practicing baseball. So we didn't. Uh, for some reason, it was knowing to practice baseball and really fun to play baseball. So we played Little League, but we didn't practice baseball. Were we good? Were we good baseball players? What do you think? Were we talented, good baseball players? No. Trav and I stunk. I think we combined one year for three hits. Between the two of us, we got three hits. And a walk felt like a home run for us. Because we never practiced baseball. We were really bad at baseball. So when we got into the game, we had no idea what we were doing. Do you practice the scripture? Are you disciplining yourself to learn the word of God? Number three, we can turn defense into offense against the devil and advance the name and the will of God simply by basing our entire lives on God's word. Guys, we're, we live in a weird age. There's so many opinions. There's so many perspectives out there. So many points of views. It's election year. You're going to hear a lot of them, okay? You're going to hear, this is right. This is right. No, this is right. No, you're an idiot. This is right. There's so many opinions and so many perspectives and so many point of views. And I'm going to be honest. I have some opinions. I have some perspectives. But you know what? They don't matter. You don't know why they, you know why they don't matter? Because they don't hold any weight. I don't know if I'm right. But you know who is right? You know who's never wrong? You know who has the perfect perspective about everything? It's God. Your perspectives and my opinions don't matter that much. They don't. 
Even if I think I'm right and I'm standing on that because I believe I'm right, I have the perfect perspective. The only way to test that is what does God say? What does God say? The only way to turn defense into offense is by standing on the promises of God. And every time the devil wants to cut you down, you resist him with scripture. And when you do that, he runs away. See, we do need more scripture, but that is secondary. What we really need is a better perspective on the value and the power of scriptures. Because the disciplines will follow those who value the word of God. And those who don't value the word of God, the disciplines won't be there either. So do we need more scripture? Yes, every single one of us needs more scripture. But what we really need is to value scripture more. To realize, I have one sword, and it's the only way I can defeat this enemy. I have to take it. I have to learn it. I have to discipline myself. Let us all today, Wyoming Valley Church, our visitors, take up the sword of the Spirit in our lives and begin using offensive defense to both conquer the devil and to advance the name of our great God. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the word of God. I, I don't really know how to emphasize that more than just saying thank you because the word of God is the reason I'm here today. The word of God is the reason we're all here today. I thank you for the word of God, what it's taught us, how it's trained us, the power it gives us. Father, I ask you to help us value the word of God more. To leave this room being more determined and more disciplined to get into the word of God, to do whatever necessary, to take up our sword in this battle against the devil. Father, we will win and we can win with your sword. But I pray that you help us learn to discipline ourselves for it today. Father, as we go into the eating part of our service today. I just pray that you'd bless the food, bless those who prepared it. Father, I just pray that the entire time of fellowship would be useful and beneficial to everyone who is here for the name of your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.